is neither male nor female. That's what I want for us to speak about tonight because the text before us lends itself to it. It's Numbers chapter 27. You know we've been going through Numbers, and tonight's text is Numbers 27, uh, just the first part of the chapter. I'd like to read it to you and comment along the way, and you'll see uh, that what you just interacted about really emerges from the text. So here's what it says. Then the daughters of Zelophehad, son of Hefer, son of Gilead, son of Machir, son of Manasseh, of the families of Manasseh, the son of Joseph, came near. And these are the names of the daughters. Mahiah, Noah and Hogla, Milka and Tirzah. So we have a man from the tribe of Manasseh, we would say, or Manasseh. His name is given, Zelophehad. He has daughters whose names are given, five to be uh, specific. No sons, but five daughters named here. They, the five daughters, stood before Moses, leader, governmental leader of ancient Israel, and Eliezer, designated, divinely called, and appointed priest, and before the leaders and all the congregation, a measure of boldness uh, emerges. Five ladies came forward, stood before governmental and religious leadership of ancient Israel in full view of all subordinate leaders and, in fact, the entire congregation. And this they did at the doorway of the tent of meeting, this movable, portable tent place, this tabernacle preceding the construction of the permanent temple to come in Jerusalem, the place where God said, I will establish my presence here. You will meet with me here. These five women do all this. And they said, our father died in the wilderness. Yet he was not among the company of those who gathered themselves together against the Lord in the company of Korah. But he died in his own sin, and he had no sons. You will recall that rebellion of Korah involved about 250 pretenders to the priestly throne. They challenged the leadership of Moses and the high priest and also wanted to usurp the role of leadership. And God was very angered by this. And there was a terrible um, manifestation of the righteous Uh, judgment of God upon them. And these daughters say, our father died, but then they are quick to distinguish the nature of his death from those who participated in the rebellion against God's appointed leaders and by extension, God himself. They said, yes, my dad, our dad died, but not like unto the deaths experienced by these rebellious ones in the wilderness. 
He died in his own sin. In other words, everyone does is what they are implying. In fact, the entire generation of those who began the wilderness wanderings at this point some 39 and a half years ago, they all died in their sin because we're conceived in sin. And one of the harsh realities of it is that it makes us rather terminal. We die in it, all of us. So the dad died in his sin, not his peculiar sin of identification with the rebellion of Korah. Why do they take pains to make this distinction? If he participated in the sin of rebellion against God's appointed leaders, and as I mentioned, by extension against God, then the dad's sin would have caused his uh, heirs to forfeit their inheritance of land in the place of promise, you see. And they want to make sure it's made clear, though he is a sinner by nature, as are all, Still, what he did did not lead to the forfeiture of, as you will see, their rights, which they're about to claim, to be heirs of a parcel of land in their father's name in the holy land. So that's what's going on. Then they continue in verse 4. Why should the name of our father be withdrawn from among his family because he had no son? Give us a possession among our father's brothers. So that is the basis of their appeal. This is why they convened a meeting with the leaders of Israel. They stepped forward at a time when women were not prone to do such a thing. They took upon themselves the possibility of harsh response, rebuke, and even discipline. Who knows? Someone might have said, get back in your place. But they felt so passionately stirred up about the rightness of their cause, they stood up rather boldly, and they simply said this, why should we not be heirs of land in the place of promise merely because we're female? Our father has no male heirs. Our father is as worthy of the perpetuation of his name in the Holy Land as is everyone else named in the list of those who are going to be heirs of promise, why not we? Now, this is at a time when it was unusual. Women had no such land inheritance rights. It was thought that the woman is going to inevitably marry, and when she marries, her upkeep will come to be the responsibility of the family, which becomes hers by marriage. She doesn't need any land of her own. Her husband and his family will provide for her. And so what happened during marriage times is that the woman who had no land inheritance rights would be given a fairly substantial dowry. That's the way love and appreciation would be shown to her, but she got no land. So what they're doing, I have to tell you, um, it hasn't happened before. <laughs> they're saying, what about us? Is this the uh, is this the, the ancient foreshadowing of the women's liberation movement? No, <laughs> it isn't, as you will see. But this is a rather precedent-setting activity on their part. So what they do is unusual, but don't miss this. Don't you think it demonstrates rather strong faith and confidence in God's word? Listen. 
they are on the other side of the Jordan River Valley while all this transaction is going on. You know, uh, uh, to, to, they're on the east of the Jordan River Valley. They're in present-day Jordan right now. You have to look across the Jordan River Valley West. That's the land of promise or the land of Canaan, but they're not in it yet. And everybody knows there's Canaanites in the land, so it remains unconquered and unpossessed, and yet they're laying claim to it as if it's theirs already because God said it was. So whatever you think of these ladies right now, uh, wow, I, I hope you respect their faith, confidence in the spoken word of God. And they do something else, I think, worthy of respect. They want their dad's name to be memorialized, not forgotten in the desert. He deserved more, they said. These five daughters thought highly enough about their dad to risk their own reputation to go in full view of the entire congregation and make a basis of appeal before the governmental and religious leadership of Israel, though they be women, and they, don't, they want their dad's name to be remembered. So there's some very admirable qualities, I hope you see, being demonstrated here. Okay, so that's what's happening. Now it's Moses' turn, verse 5. So Moses brought their case before the Lord. You know why he did that? He didn't have a clue what to do. That's why he did that. This had never come up before, I'm telling you, folks. We are in the book of Numbers now. If you go back to Genesis and read all the way to the book of Numbers, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, book of the laws, you're not going to find anything that addresses this particular situation. I'm telling you, we are seeing law emerge right before our very eyes. So Moses had not run into this peculiarity before. If a man dies with no male heirs and he, have he has daughters who respectfully want to perpetuate the name of their dad in the land, what do we do? So he does what I, I think ought to be the mark of every godly leader. He goes before the Lord to ask for guidance. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying... So here's God's response in verse 7. The daughters of Zelophehad are right. Holy moly. God didn't say the daughters of Zelophehad should get back in the kitchen. He, did, he said they're right. God Almighty said these ladies... They were not cantankerous. They were not pushy. They were not obstinate, uh, obstinate and arrogant. It's not the women's liberation, secular women's liberation uh, movement at all. They plead their case. Moses intercedes for wisdom from God on high, and he said they're right in their statements. You shall surely give them a hereditary possession among their father's brothers, and you shall transfer the inheritance of their father to them. That is precedent-setting law in ancient Israel right there. Further, God says, you shall speak to the sons of Israel, saying, if a man dies and has no son, then you shall transfer his inheritance to his daughter. 
And now something happens. Based upon the activity of these five ladies, an expanded provision is being made for other unusual cases with regard to inheritance rights. So look, verse 9. If he has no daughter, the deceased man has no sons, but he has no daughter either, then you shall give his inheritance to his brothers, the man's brothers. But if he has no brothers, then you shall give his inheritance to his father's brothers. If the father has no brothers, then you shall give his inheritance to his nearest relative and his own family. And he shall possess it, and it shall be a statutory ordinance to the sons of Israel, just as the Lord commanded Moses. So, what's the point of all this? Many points. I would like to focus in our remaining time on one, which I think is quite significant, and this is the point. Those who seek an inheritance from God, regardless of gender and other differences, shall have it. Let, because in time, let me repeat. Those who seek an inheritance from God, do you want one? Are you seeking it? Or are you indifferent to it? Do you not care? Are you too caught up with the things of this life? Then this is not you. But those who do seek an inheritance, a share in what God has to offer, those who seek an inheritance from God, regardless of gender and other human distinctives, they shall have what they seek. That's the point of this incident with Zelophehad's daughters. And to show you that this Old Testament episode is confirmed by good New Testament teaching, uh, we opened with this famous passage from Galatians 3, which I'd like to call to your attention again. Galatians chapter 3, it's verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek or Gentile. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female. Why? For you are all one. In Christ Jesus. The meaning? A believing Jewish person is not more privileged before God than a believing Gentile person. A believing rich person does not rank higher than a believing slave. And a believing man is not superior in any way to a believing woman in the economy of God. Paul cut across these distinctives of human nature and stated that they do not exist in the body of Christ so far as spiritual privilege is concerned. Let's not be foolish. Let's not make this passage say something it does not say. Surely there are distinctives. There are Jews. There are Gentiles. We are divided according to socioeconomic lines. 
we have ethnic distinctives, and we surely still have gender differences. And that's not what Paul is speaking about. He's saying with regard to access to the throne of grace, with regard to by faith, being a recipient, an heir of an inheritance in the land of promise bequeathed by a giving and gracious almighty God, there is no group more privileged than any other. Each can have equal access to the throne of grace regardless of ethnicity or race, socioeconomic status, or gender. Now, folks, in Jewish liturgy, we have a prayer. It's ancient, and Jewish men recite it Orthodox Jewish men, almost every day. And in that prayer, the Jewish man expresses thanksgiving to God that he was not made a Gentile. I feel like saying no offense, but how in the world could it not be offensive? He thanks God that he was not made a Gentile, nor a slave, nor a woman. That's what it says. Uh, Paul, being a Jew, was undoubtedly familiar with the prayer. And I think that's one of the reasons why he addressed these three classifications of people. The prayer does not necessarily require that we believe in the inherent lack of worth of one group over another. What we do believe is that Jews are more privileged and have more ready access to God and a fuller share in the best of what he has to offer than Gentiles or women. Paul says, malarkey, nonsense, baloney, is what he says. He says, not true. And Zelophehad's daughters set the precedence. Women are becoming heirs of promise in the land of promise. And though we have these very legitimate human distinctives, they do not create a hierarchical order of who has closer access to God, who has greater privilege, who is more, more an heir of salvation. No, anyone who desires to be an heir of salvation and seeks it from God, God's way, will receive what he or she desires to have. And so, um, before you uh, beat up on my people too much, I want you to know that it appears Greeks actually beat us to the punch in this uh, rather narrow, uh, discriminatory way of thinking. In the 6th century BC, for instance, we have a record from 6th century BC uh, reporting the words of a Greek dignitary named Thales, who said there were three things for which he was grateful to fortune. See, the Greeks didn't believe in one God, so he said fortune. I'm grateful to fortune for these three things. And here are his words from the 6th century B.C. I'm grateful. Uh, he expressed gratitude that he was born a human being and not a beast, that he was born a Greek and not a barbarian, and that he was born a man and not a woman, see? So the Greeks 
kind of beat us to the... You've heard of Socrates and Plato? Well, those guys wrote something almost identical to this, this ranking of privilege based on gender. And have you heard of a religion called Zoroastrianism, Zoroastrianism? Do you know Zoroastrian? It's an ancient religion, and it's practiced even by many today in Iran. For in Iran, there are many Zoroastrians in Iran. Shall I could tell you about about Zoroastrianism? Anyway, it's a it's a Persian, ancient Persian religion, and Zoroastrian Austrianism has uh, writings which seem to indicate the same um, the same breakdown. That is to say. Uh, by gender, males have greater access to deity than do females. So the point of all this thinking is men have access to God that women do not. Men can share in God's promises and benefits in a way women cannot. Men can receive what God wishes to bequeath, but women cannot. And if I could speak for them, Zelophehad's daughters said... No way. Bunk. They said, that's not true. And Paul confirmed that they were absolutely right and that anyone who seeks an inheritance from God, regardless of gender, shall have it. So are Zelophehad's daughters insisting on sameness, the brand of women's liberation efforts you see today? Absolutely not. And you know why they're not insisting on sameness? They found out they don't have to be like men in order to be loved and blessed by the maker of men and women. And I think that one of the greatest reasons for the women's liberation movement today is that women have been forced to think, unless I act like a man, I can never receive the benefits from society that men do. And those women are right. We have wronged them. But as I look to the Bible, a woman doesn't have to be like a man. Do you know there's an unbelievable... Alcoholism used to be almost an exclusively male malady. Did you know that? Alcohol, almost statistically. You think of... An alcoholic, generally you think of a man. Well, those days are over. Now that women are out in the workplace, now don't read what I'm, more into what I'm saying than what I'm saying. Uh, I, I'm just saying many women have entered into the workplace because they have found out unless I conduct myself as a man, I will not come into my own. And so women are experiencing the same work stresses that men are, and now the rate of alcoholism is... Uh, is skyrocketing uh, um, amongst women, though it used to be when I grew up was just about unheard of for a lady to be an alcoholic. But anyway, uh, it doesn't have to be that way because, because the Lofahad's daughters went before respectfully the leaders of Israel who respectfully uh, implored God for an answer and God said they're right, they can be heirs of promise. And then when we get to the New Testament, Paul says when it comes to access to God and when it comes to being a recipient of his gracious provision, his greatest of benefits offered by faith, gender is not an exclusionary factor. So human distinctions, the racial, economic, and gender, they surely continue, and thank God for them. In Christ, however, these fundamental human distinctions 
have been superseded uh, by a new relationship, a new family relationship in which we are all equals in the body of Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. You're all one in Christ Jesus. So here's the situation today as I see it, maybe wrongly. See what you think. Ethnicity, one's ethnicity, racial affiliation, one's uh, socioeconomic class, you know, are you, are you in the class of the 1% or the 99%? You know, we're hearing about this from the Wall Street um, occupiers. A and one's... Uh, and one's uh, gender have, all those affiliations have superseded the affiliation that ought to matter most. And that is, where do I stand with the creator? The God who gave me life, made me whoever I am as a human. So, so here's what's happened. And if you follow the news, you can almost sum it up this way. Um, we're divided more than ever by race. We're divided more than ever along socioeconomic lines and uh, gender differences and abuses and exploitation prevail. And we are focused like crazy on resolving the injustices done by one group to another, as we ought to be, because they are injustices. But in the process of focusing on righting all the wrongs done along racial, socioeconomic, or gender lines, we have fallen prey to a grand distraction, I think, supplied by the evil one. And all that quest to right all these injustices and wrongs have distracted us from the number one problem, it's not where we stand with one another, it's where we stand with the God who made us all. So today you have Wall Street occupiers, and there is something virtuous about it. Though ill-conceived and a little hard to define, still it's a cry for better land. <laughs> We just, we don't know where we're going, and we don't know where, we just, it could be better. You're right. That's right. Socioeconomic inequities and injustices are wrong, and they ought to be done away. You're absolutely, absolutely right. Uh, and, uh, and, and, and the women's movement, uh, you know, demanding fair treatment, there's something very virtuous and legitimate about it. You know, we're all created in the image of God. I understand that. And, uh, and oppressed and discriminated against racial group has, has every right to be incensed and upset about the injustice. Listen, as a, uh, a member of an ethnic group, everyone here is of one or the other, as a member of a gender group, socioeconomic status, can you think to a time when you have been offended because of who you are, either because of race or economics or uh, gender? Uh, can you think, if, you, if it's happened to you, 
you don't have to try so hard to think about it. It really hurts. You remember it to this. I mean, I can remember to this day as a little kid going to school in New York with a beanie. You know, we wear these little beanie things, a yarmulke. And I remember some other kids throwing rocks at me and saying, dirty Jew, dirty Jew. Well, I kind of remember that to this day. And I remember what I was thinking then and what I wanted to do. And I, I can conjure up the feeling. If that sort, and it has happened to you, every way, shape, or form. If you're a woman, you, you know what I'm talking about. I'm not you, but, but you know what you have experienced as a woman. You've been exploited, and you know what it feels like. You've, some of you have been taken advantage of, and you know what it's feel like. And some of you did not move up the employment ladder, even though you were more qualified than your male counterpart. And you know what that feels like. So, so you, me, we have a right to be aroused by it and to want to do it differently and to make sure that those injustices are not perpetuated. I understand that. But I just need to tell you something. You're not going to fix it, and neither am I. Now, that's a very pessimistic message I telling you, we're not going to straighten all this stuff out here. It's just not going to happen this side of heaven. I didn't say we should stop our efforts to be ones who further just treatment of one another and equality and all the rest. I'm not saying that. But when those things become the primary agenda, we are distracted from the primary problem. And it's not our standing with one another. It's our standing with God. We're in a heap of trouble, folks. And you can, you can, you can, you, you, you know, we can resolve the economic uh, injustice of the world by giving everyone their fair share, you, you know, whether they deserve it or not. We can do all that kind of stuff if you want to play around. And, and we can enact laws to make sure uh, there can't be discrimination, all the rest. And we can make sure women are, are protected by the laws, the land, all the rest. But it didn't fix the fundamental issue. When all is said and done, I have to stand before a most high and holy God who is going to say to me, I wished to bequeath to you a share in a heavenly inheritance, but you were too distracted to pay attention to your number one problem, which I did straighten out. And while you're in your unhappiness and your discontent trying to campaign and crusade against every human injustice in life what about the injustices you humans have done to me what about the debt you owe me i'm a holy god what about that particular problem? And so all these crusades and campaigns and signs and politicians and platforms and formats, and I'm not saying they don't have merit entirely. Don't misunderstand, but they lose merit when they supersede the big issue. The big issue is, don't you want, as did Zelophehad's daughters, don't you want to share? of inheritance in a land of promise offered by the God who owns all. Don't you want that? Do you want to be left out in the cold? Do you want your name to be forgotten or do you want it to be memorialized in a book of life? 
Don't you see? And you know what's interesting? You've experienced this. When we get it together with God, we seem to respond better to one another. Isn't that interesting? Even with externally imposed human legislation, we seem to treat one another with more value, worth, and respect when we come to know personally the giver of life as our, as our Savior. So I'm concerned, yeah, well, all of us, we should, you know, enough with the exploitation, sexual exploitation of women as objects and all the rest. Of course, of course, I understand that. It should not be tolerated. But when all is said and done, how free are those women who have participated in the efforts to free women from oppression? Show me how free is a black underclass today any more than they were before the civil rights movement. Show me, show me how free are any of us really as a result of campaigns, crusades, protests, and placard-carrying parades. How free but if the sun sets you free, what does it say? Don't you see? I didn't see, say we should give up those other fights. Please don't misunderstand. I didn't say that. We're supposed to be salt and light. But don't be distracted by it to such an extent that human injustices done to one another supersede the problem we have in resolving the indebtedness we owe to God for the injustice we have all done to him. That's a big, big, that's a big problem. So, man, I love Zelophehad's daughters for for what they did. They desired a share in the land of God's promise. And they had it. But they didn't have it on the basis of law, did they? The law would have kept them from it, don't you see? The law said the right, the, the chain by which inheritance is passed is from father to his male heirs, that's what the law said. And then God intervened quite graciously, heard their petition, adjudicated their cause, and in a masterfully compassionate stroke of grace, essentially said, I have something that supersedes the law. I know the tradition, I know the law, I know the male-female thing, I made them male-female, but no, Zelophehad's Daughters, you too will have a share in the land of promise. For grace, grace superseded the narrow confines of the law. You cannot be an heir of promise through the law, for you and I are lawbreakers. It has to be by a compassionate, sweeping stroke of the grace of God, which says, in spite of this and in spite of that, in spite of your history, in spite of your gender, in spite of your ethnicity, in spite of your sin, 
in spite of the fact that you have violated the law, if you desire it, if you come to me, if you desire a share in the inheritance I so desire to offer, it shall be yours. And it comes through the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, I close with a reading of Galatians 3 again. For there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free man, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, there it is. If, there's a condition, here it is. If you belong, not if you're rich or poor, not if you're Jew or Gentile, not if you're male or female, no, no. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants. That's what it says. And that means you are heirs according to promise. Not according to law. According to promise. Do you desire a share in the inheritance which God is so willing to give? I hope so. I remember when I heard about this the first time in the 1970s from a Gentile friend. I liked what he had to say, and I was quite attracted. And then I realized it didn't apply to me because I was a Jew. And what Jesus had to offer was not for Jews. So I was disqualified in my mind on the basis of my ethnicity. And I didn't realize I would become an heir by faith <laughs> in God's promise of a place in the land of promise. That's heaven because of the merits of his only begotten son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to me. Fight for justice and equality. And we Christians ought to be on the forefront of the battle. I understand that. But while you're fighting for what you will never fully have this side of heaven, <laughs> you can ensure your place in heaven right this very minute. Am I overstepping my ground to tell you I have my place in heaven and I'm assured of it? Would you think ill of me if I so confidently declared that to you? A short little white-haired Jew. A Yankee. <laughs> Listen. <laughs> he who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son <clears throat> shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Don't worry about the wrath uh, of the most powerful 1% <laughs> economically. Don't worry about the wrath of a male-dominated culture. Don't worry about the wrath uh, of the majority race. Worry about the wrath of God. And he says it could be avoided. He who has the Son has the life an heir of eternal life, by promise fulfilled. <clears throat> he who does not have the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides.
hearts. There will be a day when our wrathfulness and prejudice towards one another will cease to be. But the wrath of God will continue on to eternity for those who have not desired what Zelophehad's daughters have desired. Oh God, what about me? Can I have a share and inheritance in the place of promise? You can through the Lord Jesus Christ. You can tonight. And Lord Jesus Christ, we pray you would bring it to pass. Thank you for every person here tonight. Different, distinct, unique, special, sinful, needy, yes, for fair treatment, for affiliation, for affirmation, for justice, for all the rest, needy most, for forgiveness of sin. Oh God, thank you. One day, all that we have made crooked will be straightened out. But the big problem is the one you really came to resolve at the biggest and most great cost to yourself. And it provides the greatest and most long-lasting benefit, a place in the land of promise, eternity in heaven forevermore. Oh, God, we greatly desire, we who are heirs of promise, we greatly desire for the wealth of your gracious offer to be spread abroad to every single person in this place, even tonight. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.